Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, there are strong rumors in the air that, at least in New York State, there's a real possibility that fall sports will be pushed back to later in the year. No, not, not canceled, just pushed back, just postponed, mainly because of the continuing concern and confusion as to how schools will be opened safely in September. So if you're a high school athlete, start thinking about perhaps football in the spring or perhaps baseball and softball in the fall. Uh, and along with shorter seasons as well. But we'll be getting to that issue later on in the hour. But first up, it is, of course, the 4th of July weekend, and baseball finally is in the air. It's time to to relaunch spring training, so so to speak. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about how to teach your son or daughter how to learn the most difficult skill in sports. That is, of course, how to hit a baseball. A new book, has just been published on this topic, and I promise that you'll find the author's helpful tips to be simply superb. It's entitled, Teach Your Kid to Hit So They Don't Quit, and it's written by Kevin Gallagher, who starred at Pace University, where he set all sorts of hitting records. He was an all-star in the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League, was inducted into the Pace University Hall of Fame, and went on to sign and play in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. His new book is endorsed by yours truly, and also by uh, Red Sox Hall of Famer Rico Petroselli. And I, I got to tell you, it's available now on Amazon, either in print form or as an ebook. And for every sports parent who's a baseball fan, let's be honest, at some point early in their kid's development, there's going to be a session where the youngster will be introduced to a bat and ball, and he or she will be taught how to hit. The problem is, hitting a baseball properly is really, really hard. And a lot of kids get so frustrated so early on that they just flat out end up quitting. And that's where Kevin Gallagher comes in. He joins us this morning from his home in Florida. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Rick. That was a nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's all true, of course. Uh, you were yeah. a big, big star at Pace, and, and I know baseball is very near and dear to your heart. So let's start at, this, at the beginning. What compelled you to, to write this, this book? Well, I'll tell you, Rick, this book has been in my soul for 15, 20 years. I've wanted to write this book for a long time. And the only thing that kept it locked in there was fear. I was afraid to write it, could start and stop. But last year, um, 
I finally said, if I don't tell my story, no one is going to do it. So uh, it took me 18 months, but I brought it to publication. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the reason I wrote the book, Rick, very simple. I want to teach ordinary kids how to hit a ball, whether it be a softball or a baseball, a girl or boy, don't matter. It's a bat and it's a ball, right? I want to see them hit the ball, run the first base, have a smile on their face, enjoy the game, and don't quit before they get going. Number two, and probably most importantly, is I want to convince the parents listening to this show that they are the ones who can teach them, not somebody else. They are the ones that can teach them. They don't need to ship them out to a little league coach or a Babe Ruth coach. They might just be somebody else's parent that doesn't know how to teach. You know, as you just said, hitting the ball is difficult, and kids aren't born knowing how to hit, right? And most parents don't know how to teach them. What we do is we take them to the ballpark or the backyard, we throw them batting practice, Rick, and, um, but that's not teaching, right? It's just throwing the ball to them, and we hope they hit it. And when they don't or they struggle, we offer them vague advice such as stand closer to the plate, keep your chin up, keep your eye on the ball, swing harder, don't swing so hard. You know, it's all noise to them. They don't know what they don't know why you're telling them that. It doesn't make sense. So what's gonna happen? They're gonna get frustrated. The parents gonna get frustrated. They'll sense disappointment in your voice. It's not gonna be a good day at the park. They may not want to come back. You might lose them right in the beginning. Um, if they move on to an organized league, uh, because maybe in the backyard you were throwing the ball half speed and they were doing okay. Now they're swinging and missing in, not just in front of mom and dad in front of strangers and, and grandma and grandpa, maybe the boy they like or the girl they like, or the buddies down the end, you know, yep. embarrassing. They're going to quit. And I'll tell you that the longest and loneliest walk in sports is that walk from home plate back to the dugout with your bat in your shoulder and you struck out again. So we have a responsibility to teach our kids to hit so they don't quit. And this book lays out a simple process, Rick, that parents can follow, they can understand, believe in, and own and then convey this to their child so their child can understand what, what they're doing and why, and they'll want to do it. And once again, not somebody else can do this. The parent can do it. Now, now Kevin, you, you, you covered a lot of territory there, and I think every mom and dad uh, certainly can, can relate to that because, as you said, you, you take the youngster out in the backyard uh, or to the sandlot, and all of a sudden they say, here, try to swing the bat, try to hit the ball. There's no instruction. You just hope that somehow instinctively the youngster knows how to hit, and, of course, that's not how it works. You, in your book, you talk about uh, a, a top-hand approach to hitting, and obviously that is the, the essential first lesson for any kid to be taught. I mean, you, you talk about actually teaching the kid, here's how you hit a baseball. I know you're a big advocate of teaching the kid with using a batting tee to get you know, him or her on the right path early on. Talk about that. Yeah, first of all, I want to make sure that the, book, the people out here know this book is written for the parent, not to the child, right? We're teaching the parent how to teach the child. Oh, it's a children's book written to the parent. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm talking to the parent here when I, when, I, when I write this book. And the process that we do use is called top-hand hitting. Now that's been around for a long time, but probably not in the last 10, 12 years, 15 years. It's on the back burner, right? Mm-hmm. Rick, you used it. You took it into uh, you know, the Detroit organization. Rico Petrucelli used it in the major leagues. But it's kind of gone on the back burner with this new launch angle and all that. But what we talk about is top-hand hitting. It's, uh, the purpose of that is to create a level swing using your top-hand as a dominant hand from start to finish. And in the process I teach, we try to create some sort of a connection between your brain and the top hand so you know you're, you're, you're basically like chopping a tree with that top hand. Uh, and the objective of it is to get the barrel of the bat on the same plane of the ball that the ball is traveling on as it's coming in as early as we can for as long as we can, and we create multiple points of contact for the bat to hit the ball. And I compare this in the book to what's being taught today, which is a launch angle, which is, you know, of course, a it's revolutionized the game. It's, it's for very talented players. It's fine, but it's designed when you hit the ball for it to go high and far in the air. But the price to pay is you're going to swing a lot and miss a lot. And our kids aren't going to tolerate that. So the process I have here that I lay out in the back of the book is an eight-step process that will teach you step by step with instruction, 
advice, an illustration that you can visually see and maybe even show the child later on, and then a video to accompany each step so that when you're done reading this book and watching these uh, steps, um, you are going to know this process and you're going to own it. You can take it with you. It's going to be your brand. You can teach your kids and you can teach other kids. You know, you're going to know how to teach people how to hit a baseball. You know, uh, I, I, re- I grew up, as a lot of kids did, reading uh, Ted Williams' uh, classic book, The Science of Hitting. But it wasn't until I was probably in, golly, I guess uh, in college, that and and you know he he was launch angle he would Ted of course was had a big uppercut but he was six foot four he was left handed had great power so I said it wasn't until I was in college I realized that as a as a righty hitter and I stand about six foot tall uh, his hitting style did not work for me because he advocated this long uppercut kind of stroke. Uh, and, you know, for most ball players, and I had to spend two or three years readjusting my swing to learn how to use top hand hitting, Kevin, to, to get myself to, to the next level of baseball. Uh, so I just wish I had I wish I had your book available when I was a kid because it would have made life a lot easier for me, uh, you know, at the ballpark. And I mean, I, I look, let me get into this, too. And we're talking with Kevin Gallagher. He is he's the author of a brand new book uh, that every sports parent uh, needs to get. It's called Teacher kid to hit so they don't quit um let's talk about, a lot of kids you know use baseball bats when they're starting out which quite frankly are too heavy for them and as a consequence they do end up it's hard for them to do that the top hand chop wood kind of approach they just sort of have a long loopy stroke T- talk about, about how you how you get kids to not do that how do you make sure they have the right size bat to use well, first of all, make sure everybody understands what the launch angle swing is. It's, and Ted Williams used it, right? It's yep. not hitting the ball in the air. So, but the point is that when we were younger, maybe some of the people on the call will say, it's, really, it's an uppercut swing. It's a softball swing. <laughs> and we were taught not to use that. The problem with the launch angle for anybody, uh, unless you're very talented, even though the major league is in order to hit 30 home runs, they strike it out too many times. But for, for a kid, they're not going to tolerate all those swings and misses. But it's a very long swing. Okay, it's a very long swing, and it takes the barrel of the bat underneath the plane of the ball, and it's got to come back up, and geometry will tell you that the ball is coming in on one line, and you're coming up on another, there's only one spot to hit that ball, and you've got to get there. Yep. So for a kid, it's, it's difficult. So when a kid, a kid can develop a launch angle swing without even knowing it, because when they pick up a bat, if it's too heavy, the first thing they want to do is drop it down, and the top hand becomes the bottom hand, the barrel of the bat goes below the plane of the ball, and they got to get it all the way back up to where the plane of the ball is, and you have to have perfect timing. So the, the number one thing you want to start, the very number one thing, is when you give a kid a bat, get the lightest bat you can find. they got to be in control of that bat. And now that's the most important thing is the lightest bat. And I also advocate choking up to give more control of the bat. Mm-hmm. I, can, I, mm-hmm. compare it, I compare it to swinging a, a, a rowboat oar. If you swing a rowboat oar, all the weight's out there. You can't. You have to drop it down and swing. You need to be in control of it if you're going to use top hand. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 this is so essential. As you said, uh, that and unfortunately, most parents just go out there and just take the kid to uh, the ballpark and just either toss him the ball and expect the kid to hit, and the kid really has no idea. And, of course, other things as well. Kids, obviously, are always concerned by getting hit by a pitch, that kind of stuff. But it all starts with actually taking the time to say, look, this is how you hit a baseball and you hit it well. And, and to shorten that stroke so that the, the, the back hand, the top hand, is basically driving the barrel of the bat through the strike zone into the pitch, that is so, so critically important. And those, I really believe, Kevin, and I'm glad you wrote this book, because it really does crystallize the right way for youngsters to learn how to hit. Now, we all know, of course, that baseball, hitting a baseball is extraordinarily uh, difficult. Uh, it takes a great deal of patience and a great deal of talent to learn how to do this. 
But as you say in your book, once you get the kid on the right path, things become a lot easier. In fact, that's, that's, I do want to spend a moment talking about this book because it is unusual. I mean, uh, you know, teach your kid to hit. And by the way, friends, you can get this book right now. It's on Amazon, either as a print book or you can buy it as an ebook. But throughout the book, and there's lots of photos, uh, lots of four-color illustrations, which are easy to follow, uh, you also have a, uh, a video steps so that anybody can just go uh, and, 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 you know, look at the video to show the, on YouTube as to how these techniques are taught. And on the ebook in particular, the links are active, so you go right to the YouTube channel to see these, these links uh, immediately. Uh, tell us more about, about, about all this. And how, it's an unusual package. That's what I'm trying to say, Kevin. Well, once again, it's, it's, a, it's a children's book written to the parents, so it is a little bit different. And in those steps and then throughout the book, what I used to emphasize is that do not underestimate the intelligence of your child. They're not going to do things because you tell them to keep your shoulder up. Or do it. They, they need to know why they're doing it. And if they understand why they're doing it, they'll buy into it, and they'll want to do it. And before each step, uh, before every step I do in, in writ, the written word or the, or the video is to stop. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell your child what we're going to do. We're going to tell them why. And then I lay out what we're going to do. The actions we have to do it. I have an illustration you can look at to make sure that you understand it. And if you need that illustration to show your child, I created a guy named Riley Dude so the child can look at it and see, oh, I see what he's doing. And then you have a video to back it up. And in each every one of them, we say, tell your child what we're doing. Because the child needs to understand. Now, keep your eye on the ball. Step closer to the plate. Don't swing. What does that mean? But if you explain to them uh, that the ball is coming in on one plane and the bat's coming in on the same plane, we can see how they're going to hit. And it, mm-hmm. it makes, it'll make sense to them. And if it makes sense to them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do it. They're not going to say, my way is better, you know. So that, that's, that's the important thing is to make sure that you understand it. Because I want to take parents from, from coaching their kid or helping their kid to teaching their kids. It's a big leap. It's a big leap. Because when you're teaching, you believe in what you're doing. And they can see it. They can see the passion in you. They can see that you believe in that so much that, that it can sway them to them. They'll believe in it. So you parents out there, I want you to teach your kid. I don't want you to coach your kid. Yeah, I think it's, that's a fundamental difference. Uh, you're, I mean, as I said, and, and this is so critically important. It, it's uh, to have the parents teach the youngster. Okay, today we're going to go out and take uh, learn how to hit, uh, how to hit a baseball. Uh, and again, traditionally, we assume the kids know how to do this on their own, or maybe we figure they learned it from a, an older sibling, or they have seen ball players on TV or whatever. No, it, it has to be taught. Um, it's just not necessarily instinctive, and, and boy, oh boy, uh, you know, learning the right way to do it early on when they're five or six, it just uh, streamlines uh, or delimitates a lot of the frustrations that, that kids are going to have in trying to learn how to hit a baseball the right way. Again, making sure, it's a, as you said, Kevin, start them out with the lightest bat so they can control the bat and they can have a sense of hitting down, chopping wood, t- you know, a top-hand approach to hitting. It, it is critically important because we know it, it takes it's a lot of frustration and we're trying to eliminate that. So she said the kid doesn't quit. Uh, yeah. Kevin, I tell you, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrific book. Uh, uh, let me, before I forget, I want to make sure people get the, the website. Uh, they can go to www.hittingsimple. That's one word, hittingsimple.com. And again, the title of the book is Teach Your Kid to Hit So They Don't Quit. It's by Kevin Gallagher. Uh, you can get it, as I said, on Amazon, either as a print book or as an ebook. Uh, full of photos, four color illustrations, there's video links. Kevin, I tell you, I really think you got something special here, pal. I'm really, really uh, thrilled that you took the time to write the book and do such a great job with this. 
to, to wrap it up, what, what I want is everybody out there that's listening wants, I want your child to make contact with the ball, run it out, slide it in the base, get dirty, high-five his teammates, have a smile on his face, get dirty, go, go, go to school tomorrow, talk about the game, and learn valuable lessons on the field, how to win and lose with class, and build a bond between the parent and the child for years to come. But it all starts, Rick, all that starts if they, if they make contact. They got to make contact. If they don't, all that doesn't happen. So I, I, I wish I, you the best out there. Read the book. I, I hope you really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. And I couldn't agree more. Thanks again. That's a, that's Kevin Gallagher. Uh, okay, coming up. Uh, the word I'm hearing is that around here in New York State, high school sports uh, are going to be pushed back into shortened seasons with perhaps football kicking off in early March, not in September. Uh, we will be, we'll be talking with a longtime high school football coach, Mike Spina, when I return from these messages. Big Wolf Sports Radio 1019 FM Sports Radio 66 WFAN Back here on the Sports Edge. You know, a couple of weeks ago, longtime Long Island High School football coach Mike Spina uh, came on the show to talk about an idea that he'd been embracing for, for a number of years, and that was why not flip the high school fall sports season with the spring season? That is, for example, have schools play football around New York State in the spring. Now, we had a lot of feedback on that idea, and quite frankly, with the start of school in September being clouded with so many questions regarding how to have kids in classes with teachers and to do it safely, it appears that extracurricular activities like like sports are being perhaps held off for the time being. And there are a number of possible scenarios being discussed right now Involving sports for uh, this coming fall, uh, and there's, there, there are several possible situations um, that are being offered up by uh, hardworking athletic directors and educators. Clearly, what they want to do is try to have a situation where kids, high school kids, are allowed to play sports, but we want to do it in such a way that they are safe. Now, again, not just for the kids, but for the coaches and administrators and refs, officials, umpires. Uh, there may be shortened seasons. But it's going to be sort of a new, uh, brave new world when it comes to high school sports. Uh, we're taking your calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. And I wanted to bring back Coach Spina uh, to on the show this morning because there are strong rumors, Mike, that this is going to change, at least in New York State. Can't speak for Connecticut or New Jersey, but for example, uh, high school baseball and softball might be played in the fall. Football might move to early spring. Soccer into February. I mean, this is interesting stuff. And again, we're not trying to cancel sports, just the opposite. We're trying to make sure the kids have a chance to play their sports, even if they're in a different season. So I know uh, you, we've been texting back and forth uh, even as late as last night. Mike, what, what, what are you hearing as of uh, last night and this morning? What, what it looks like is going to happen in New York State? Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good, Mike. Uh, not, I'm not 100% sure. There's so many things and so many different people that are working really hard on this. And, and i got to give the task force for New York State a lot of credit. They are trying, they're coming up with so many different scenarios to make this work for our high school athletes. And, and that's what we have to think about is what is going to be good for the high school athlete, not what's good for the parent, not, what, not what's good for us coaches. It's what's good for these kids. So they're working day and night to try to figure out What's going to be best for them? You've got to remember, we still can't predict 
what's going to happen in the fall, winter, or even in the spring. We don't know. And we're, our hands are still tied based on what's happening with the government right now. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> let's just try to map this out for those, for those kids uh, and parents who may not be aware of what's going on. But as you just mentioned, Mike, there's a lot of concern about, you know, well, it, we want to have our kids play sports, but perhaps right now we still are trying to figure out how do we have the teachers back in the classrooms in, in uh, early September. So that's the top priority, having the classes run safely. So now they're talking about possibly uh, taking, for example, let's do, it, let's do it this way. Starting in January, then you'd have the traditional winter sports like basketball, boys and girls basketball, ice hockey, uh, indoor track, uh, bowling, and swimming. When you get to, you know, to, to March, it's possible we might have football, uh, wrestling, soccer start in early March and go to early May. Um, and then in April, you would have baseball and softball, lacrosse, golf, tennis, and track and field. Uh, there'd be a lot fewer games than kids are accustomed to, but they would have, a, obviously, enough games to make for a meaningful season. The playoffs would be truncated. Um, and again, that's one of the various uh, scenarios being talked about. Another one would have, well, they have early spring and a late spring. Again, the winter sports would stay where they are, the basketball, the wrestling, and so on and so forth. But another one the scenario that I know is being discussed uh, is perhaps starting in early February or mid-February with football, field hockey, soccer, girls, I mean, boys and girls soccer, and then that goes into the middle of April. And then in late spring, you would start in the middle of April to June 1st. That would be uh, baseball and softball, lacrosse, and so on and so forth. Mike, are you getting any feedback on this or, or talking to other coaches or ADs? I mean, is there any, any particular these things that what, – what are you hearing on the street, so to speak? Well, some of the things that I've heard were the overlapping of sports with the condensing of the seasons. Yeah. That if you're overlapping sports, certain kids that play multiple sports would have to either make a choice or they're going to be in a situation where they're – playing two sports at the same time, yes. which as a, as a varsity coach, you know, you don't really want to hear that your kid is playing, say, football, but yet he can't go to football because he's got to go to baseball, lacrosse, or, or he's got to go to track or soccer, whatever it is. So with a lot of the scenarios, there is a little bit of an overlap. And again, we're really talking about the kids right now, not about us coaches. And me coaching three varsity sports, you know, I'm kind of torn because I want to have a season. You know, and, and as a coach, you know, your ultimate goal is to win a county, a Long Island or sectional, depending on where you are in a state, and eventually a state championship. And, you know, I've had the fortune of coaching teams that have played for state championships, and there's nothing better than that. But I'm also under the realization right now that my main thing right now is just to get on the field and, and start being able to coach these athletes right now because we know that the kids lost the spring. I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but there is a slight chance that we could lose the fall season. And, and I know some people say, well, if you switch the sports, which is what I talked about two weeks ago, then you might have athletes that are missing two sports or two seasons in a row. Yes, but what about a kid who plays baseball or lacrosse and football? He still might be losing two seasons in a row. It might not be the same sport. I do like the condensing of the sports right now just to get the kids on the field. And Dr. Jim Wright, who is the athletic director at Walt Women High School, mm -hmm. he actually sent me a proposal that I absolutely love. 
And, you know, knowing him for many, many years, he works very, very hard at that. And it's actually a five-pronged season, you know, where you take some of the sports where you don't even have to enter the building because we know that's an issue, you know, where you might take a sport like a golf or tennis where you don't have to enter the building. And maybe you start that up in the fall where even if we don't go back to school, they can still run that sport because it is a socially distant sport just by the means of it and the fact that you don't have to enter a building, use a locker room. You don't even really have to get on a bus. You could just go to the golf course and have a meet. And then starting in a late fall with some of your indoor sports like volleyball, gymnastics. But there was no overlapping in his, his plan, which I actually liked. Well, let's actually let's, uh, let's uh, welcome uh, Jim Wright onto the show now. Uh, uh, Jim Wright, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mike. How you doing? So good. So, How are you, Jim? I'm looking right now at a spreadsheet, Jim, where you were—I believe this is your work—where you're suggesting maybe they have an early and a late spring. And the early spring would be uh, middle of February, where sports like football and soccer, field hockey would start. Now, again, middle of February is, let's face it, it's around here, of course, it's the middle of winter. But they would go to April 13th, and then you would start in the late spring with the more traditional sports like baseball and lacrosse and softball. Um, I know most of the high schools around here play on, on artificial turf fields, but is that, can you do this? Can you, can you actually have games uh, with football and, and field hockey and soccer in, in the middle of winter? Well, the start time in February doesn't mean we're actually on the field. Um, if you look at the start dates, the start dates occur either the first week of March or the second week of March. I mean, right now we tell baseball and softball coaches that they have to uh, go out on the field in, in that time and start scrimmages in non-league games. Um, being able to play a game in, in maybe you know forty-five degree weather, it happens in the yep. fall as well. Yep. So we're sure. just reversing things. Okay. Uh, Jim, uh, I'm just curious because this is so, I assume this is unprecedented. I can't recall in my lifetime where a situation like this has occurred. Uh, and, and, um, you know, but again, it's all about giving the kids a chance to, to play their sports in high school. Nobody wants to have a situation where they, they, the kids were robbed, uh, of their spring semester of sports. Um, I, I, do you guys both believe this is going to happen? Is this is, is this something that seriously is going to consider, or do you think they're just going to say at the end, "No, we're going back and starting early September, just like it's uh, business as usual"? Well, it's, there's no way that we can consider going back normally if if the uh, the governor's office and school districts are that concerned about getting back into school and applying social distancing and and masks and everything else they think they need to do. So, you know, the fall has to be unobtrusive to schools uh, as far as getting sports back goes, because learning is the number one thing here right now. The second problem is, how do we get everything in? And such was the impetus for the five-season plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything has to get in. And, Jim, when does this, when is a decision made? Is this, is, and I, a couple of questions. A, when is this finally going to be presented either to Governor Cuomo or to the Board of Regents, or is it something that is decided upon by the individual school districts? Uh, how does this play out when somebody says, okay, here, here's the proposal we think uh, we ought to consider very seriously? Well, it's along with everything else, is they're having regional meetings with school districts right now. We have the task force, which is coming up with a plan, and we've had one survey already that determines safety is the most important thing. State tournaments are the least important. The second survey is out now, 
um, to school districts all over the state. So once that data comes in, we'll be able to collect that. And they have six scenarios in that data. Yeah. So it's it's going to be basically the choice of the school. The other issue I'm dealing with is, you know, regional issues. So we could be in a situation this year where we have 11 sections in New York State. We could have 11 different return to plays based on the phasing of the governor. So this is this is a tough place right now. And, uh, you know, obviously this is on New York State. Have you had any interaction or heard anything from, let's say, Connecticut or New Jersey? Well, yes, they've got their plans going back, and uh, they're back-to-school plans. And yes. They're determined to have sports come back the way they think they can bring it back. Right now, there's no spike in those areas, as well as New York State. So, again, it, I think it's just patience at this point, Rick. And, and I think Mike can agree with me that we need to have patience here right now and just wait and see what happens in the next couple of weeks, and then we can really make some informed decisions. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, uh, Yeah, thank you for... For your thoughts this morning, uh, and obviously for this uh, uh, this different, this creative uh, approach to have, in effect, you say, uh, five seasons uh, for high school sports coming this year. And Jim, I would just want to suggest this is this is a one-off. This would not be something that's permanent, correct? Okay, so uh, I, well, I think we lost, we lost him. But yes, I in speaking to Jim, um, yes, this is just a, a one-shot deal right now. Just thinking about getting people to play sports again. And, and Jim brought a good point. You know, like the first priority right now is are the kids' education. Yes. You know, we're, you know, this is a sports show and we're sports coaches and everything else, but getting these kids back into school is the number one priority. We really can't do anything as far as athletics until we know what we're doing education, you know, with the education of these kids. You know, we can't say, hey, sports is first, education is second. That's not, that's not how it works. So once we get an idea of the education, now we could start really putting some of these scenarios into place. Well, yeah, Mike, and, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, I introduced you, of course, as a longtime uh, high school coach. And, uh, but the fact is you're also uh, a top educator, and clearly your top priority is education. That's what you do uh, first and foremost. And, you know, we're all, if you talk to any teacher these days, that they're worried themselves as to what's going to happen in the fall. How are schools going to open? How are they going to get kids to school in terms of school buses, cafeteria workers, and so on and so forth? Again, it's not so much the kids uh, having a fear of, of uh, mortality because the numbers for kids uh, basically dying from this this virus are, are fairly low. But they become carriers to the older people, and that's who we're concerned about, whether they're coaches or teachers or it might be. So, yes, we first have to get the schools on the right track for early September, if that can be done, whether it's a combination of in, uh, in the school, in person with kids and teachers, or it's more remote learning again, or a combination of the two, or staggering the classes, or, or the days they go to school. I don't know. That's something that obviously is taking top priority now. But to your point, Mike, you know, this is sports like theater, like being in the, in, the, in the school orchestra or the debate club. Those are all extracurricular activities. And we all want our kids to do this and to go out and play sports. But the fact is we've got to do it in such a way that's going to be different, creative, and is safe, quite frankly. Uh, I, I, what are you hearing from your coaching colleagues about all this? I mean, they must be concerned as well, and, and they just watching this and thinking, well, made this will happen i mean what kind of feedback are you getting from your end well my end is we're all preparing to be ready by august 24th for the football season okay you know whether it's zoom meetings 
Um, you know, you go around the field, you see kids working out on their own, you know, doing stuff. Nobody's coaching their kids right now, but they are having Zoom meetings, and, and we have to prepare, you know, that we're going to start August 24th. Now, if that does not happen, then we're prepared to take the next step and, and figure out when we're going to start. But if we're not preparing as coaches right now for August 24th, and some something happens, something comes down from the state saying, hey, guys, now fall sports are going to be played and we're not prepared, then we didn't do our job as coaches. Got it. But, of course, as you said, um, it, it's better to be prepared for right now, assuming that sports are going to be as, like, uh, as normal. But, if again, if it comes down that, no, we're actually going to hold, hold off uh, and delay all this, then, then you still say, okay, fine, we'll make adjustments on the fly. Simple as that. So. Correct, but we are we are preparing, and and I would I would tend to think that ninety nine percent of the coaches that are coaching fall, yep. winter, and spring, whatever they normally do within reason, are doing it. They're, they're ready to go. Um, with the you know with the caution of hey, we might get shut down or the season might get pushed back, but I think that ninety nine percent of high school coaches right now are doing what they're supposed to do with their teams, and it might be just via Zoom meetings. Yeah, no. You might have kids looking at film, but we're you know we're doing our due diligence. We're doing our our meetings, getting kids ready, getting them prepared, staying positive. We don't want these kids to think, oh, we're not going to have to do anything because the season's going to be shut down. Yep, that's not what that's not what this is about. This is about hey, we're preparing kids for life, and what better life lesson right now than what's happening in this world? Yeah, I I. I... I hear you loud and clear. We're talking right now with Mike Spina. We're talking about the, the real strong possibility that uh, high school sports uh, may be uh, delayed or postponed uh, into this fall. Uh, a lot of different scenarios that are, are in the works. But uh, as you heard Mike just say, if you're a high school coach, you still got to be prepared on the off chance that things, uh, sports may start, in fact, in, in late August. Let me take a, a, a timeout when I return. We'll take your calls at one 337 6666. Hey, at uh, 9 o'clock this morning, uh, Susan Waldman and Howie Rose will be by, and uh, we're all celebrating 33 years of WFAN. Uh, I'm a, a relative newcomer to the station. I've only been here for about 24 years. Uh, but I, I wanted to share a, a, a true story regarding my dad, who appeared on the fan many, many times over the years. And especially now that we're entering an era where play-by-play sportscasters are, are, are being cautioned that they may not be able to to broadcast games from courtside or from the press box due to the virus. Uh, they're saying that sportscasters will be doing games uh, while not in person. Uh, will be a whole new concept. Uh, well, of course, that really isn't true. And let me tell you a, a, a quick story. My dad, who, as many of you know, was the TV voice of the Knicks uh, for more than 30 years. Well, he once broadcast a Knicks game when he was not at the arena. This happened, uh, really happened back on March 5th, 1966, when, when bad weather prevented uh, my dad from flying to Cincinnati for a Knicks-Royals game that was to be telecast back to, uh, to New York on WOR-TV. Dad actually ended up broadcasting the game off a TV monitor while sitting in the station's studio on the 83rd floor of the Empire State Building. 
he didn't make a big deal about this uh, because he thought it would be uh, somewhat embarrassing and sort of uh, misleading. In fact, he said he didn't he didn't make a public confession about this until 14 years later when he was interviewed or did actually did a piece in the New York Times about it. Uh, but he told the audience during the course of this game, again, back in 1966, he said, quote, Tonight's game is coming to you from Cincinnati with the audio being transmitted from the WOR-TV studios high up in the Empire State Building. Uh, Dad always told me that the broadcast went smoothly, but he again, he didn't want to tell anybody about what he did because he was afraid of uh, negative feedback or comments. But the truth is, Nobody ever complained, and Dad also confided in me that this may become something of a trend uh, where broadcasters do the games off of monitors without actually being at the, uh, at the, in, the in the arena or at the ballpark. And oh, he certainly hoped that wouldn't happen. So in any event, uh, sportscasters not doing games in person, well, as I said, has a history going back to the mid-1960s. Uh, but again, my father was always a little sheepish about admitting that he did that. Uh, he did that Nick games in that way, and he always felt that again, being a person uh, was essential. And uh, my thanks to Steve Porcelli for reminding me of that uh, that true story this morning as we celebrate 33 years on the fan. Okay, right now we're talking about high school sports uh, and possibility of being pushed back. Um, yeah, later in the year, in the school year, my guest is longtime high school football coach at Floral Park High School, a massive people high school, Mike Spina. Uh, and Mike, let's take some calls about this because this is really unprecedented. This is uh, uncharted new territory. Let's uh, let's start with uh, Jack Smithland over uh, over in Farallon. Jack, uh, good morning. What's happening in New Jersey in terms of high school sports for the fall? How are you, uh, Rick and, and Mike? Um, um, great segment. Uh, it, New Jersey is, is kind of like going in the opposite direction of New York. New York is actually putting some mind and thought into this. And New Jersey is uh, full steam ahead for September. Um, they're, they're actually, you know, after speaking to a, a high school football coach, John uh, Pizarro here, a Hawthorne baseball head, baseball head football, and the AD at, um, at Fairlawn High School, um, what New Jersey's doing is they're putting it in phases. Uh, July 13 is their start of phase one, right. which they feel is the first time that a coach can come in contact with their players. And what they're going to do there is they're only going to be doing conditioning for phase one. No contact, no sports, no equipment. And they have, they have their guidelines for phase one with mask wearing and not using other, you know, same equipment, not drinking out of the same bottles that everybody's been talking about now for months and months. So, and then when they get into their phase two in July 26th, I believe phase two starts, now they can start actual physical practices, but without equipment, they can use a ball now, they said. And they're, they're just moving there. And this is all contingent on school being back in session. Now, speaking to one of our, you know, one of the school where I taught for over 30 years, they don't feel that it's going to be possible to go back to school with the guidelines that the state is setting. So, you know, athletics in New Jersey, in my opinion, and, and, and in New York and Connecticut, all over the United States, are going to be contingent on, one, the virus, not knowing, you know, knowing a little bit more about the virus and what's going on, and two, you know, whether school is back in session. Like, like, uh, like, like your guest said, you know, school is first. That's the first and foremost for our kids, getting our kids 
back to school. But number one over that is the safety of our kids and our teachers and custodians and bus drivers. So, you know, New Jersey is, is I don't think they're, they didn't even give them the phase two yet on what they're, I mean, what the rules and regulations are going to be because they said that in their newsletter from the NJSIAA, it says that, well, we'll notify all coaches and athletic directors a week before the next phase starts as to the new guidelines for that phase. And once again, it all depends on what's happening with the virus. Um, well, Jack, you know, but, but you're saying to me, Jack, I mean, whereas in New York State, there obviously are, are contingency plans being discussed very seriously now. That, that's yep. what you know. Mike Spina has been discussing, of course. But the fact is, and that was excellent, Mike. Yeah, and Mike. Thank you. You know, Jim, uh, Jack. The, th- the question I'm going to ask is: uh, so New Jersey, there is none of this discussion. They're just saying, no, we're starting. Like uh, nothing has changed. We're going right back to work they, in September and high school football and and soccer and so on and so forth. Can I add to that, Rick? Yeah, go go go, go ahead, ahead, Mike. My question would be in Jersey, and again, I said the coaches should be getting ready. Uh, and if you listen to me before, and, and no, I they, they are, the they are they're getting, getting ready. They are. They're all getting ready. Now, the the question's going to be is if we don't go back to school full time, teachers wearing masks, students six feet apart. You know, we talked about are the cafeterias being used, are the locker rooms being used? You know, what happens with the locker rooms? You know, how do you socially distance in a locker room? How do you socially distance on a bus? You have a football team, and in Jersey, listen, we all know about Jersey football. How, how big it is, and, you know, are you going to get 10 buses because you got a kid, one per seat? You know, are you going to put two kids per seat? There's no socially distancing on a bus plus equipment. So now you got to add that ex- expense in of how many buses you're going to take and how do you socially distance on a bus. And nobody wants football and, and fall sports more than me right now. And I just don't know what that contingency plan is going forward without having us go back to school on a normal basis. You yeah, know, Mike, I, Mike what, what, one of the things that I'm saying is, is that New York is doing it right. I mean, you know, with your plan of, of your thoughts from years and years ago about flip-flopping sports, you know, now would be the perfect time to do that. It really would with baseball and softball being in the fall and, and, and football being in the spring. And, you know, but what, what New York is doing is they're, they have a plan one and a plan two and possibly a plan three. New Jersey doesn't, and I I believe they do not. And and if they do, they're not telling anybody about it. They can't even tell you what their rules and regulations are for Phase 2 until a week before it. And Phase 2 is right around the corner. It's it's July 22nd is when they're Phase 2 with contact with 10 in a group and, you know, all the same rules and guidelines that everybody's using. But once again... New Jersey's feeling is, and, and, and the commissioner of, of the NJSIAA, a, a woman, McGuire, stated that athletics are a continuation of the classroom. No classroom, no athletics. Like you talked about before, about tennis and golf starting. New Jersey would not allow that because there's no school. You know, the one thing that New Jersey did do is they canceled what they call their zero-week um, fall athletics. That's football and soccer before school starts. 
You know, they've been in the last couple of years. They've been playing their first and second games before the before the school year even started. That's completely canceled. That's pushed back. You know, so that 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 is eliminated automatically. So they cannot play unless they're back in school. And speaking to one of the administrators at the school where I taught, he said, Jack. We're preparing, but I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going back to school. <laughs> it's almost impossible to do. It's impossible with the virus being I, peaking all over the United States. Jack, you know, let me so, let me let me jump in right there, yeah. and and uh, I I'm so glad you uh, you've been you know obviously watching all this and observing and talking to, to your your colleagues uh, and, and because obviously Jersey is taking a whole different approach. Uh, Jack, th- thank you as always well, for your thoughts and comments. Mike Spina, let me come back to you. So here we have a case here about where New Jersey is sort of saying, and this is, you know, they're saying it's full full uh, speed ahead. We're going to have school begin in early September, and it's going to be uh, same with sports and so on and so forth. But I guess they have to be somebody somewhere has got to be thinking, uh, as Jack just said, you know, the teachers are very nervous about this, and they don't really have great direction or guidelines of how it's going to go. And if there is no school or school is delayed or there's a whole different variation of school, then we talk about the sports and extracurricular activities, whereas New York State is making a lot of uh, contingency plans. Jersey's not really doing that. Now, again, they may, it may just turn out that things are fine and, and everybody just basically says, okay, we're doing this. But, uh, boy, oh, boy, it's complicated stuff. Well, as you said, the busing, uh, the cost of that, uh, social distancing. Uh, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about uh, is the fields. If we go through a different kind of situation uh, with different uh, uh, format in New York State, will there be enough fields uh, for not just the varsity teams but the JV teams, freshman teams? That's a concern. I mean, this, is, this is, gets very complicated, but at least the conversation is taking place so that, you know, if, 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 if school is postponed or, or there is a problem, uh, that sports will, you know, follow up uh, as, as it's available. And, of course, we all hope and pray for a vaccine, which may come by the end of December or early January, and that would obviously make everybody feel a lot better. Uh, Mike, there's a lot of things moving on here, but at least I'm getting the sense that the ADs like Jim Wright and yourself, you know, people are talking about what's going on. There's a lot of talk in New York State, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Jersey because – you know, I have zero information on no, what of course not. Of Connecticut course not. are doing. Yeah. Just as far as what New York State is doing, they're doing their due diligence. You know, and I, I implore Dr. Zayas and, and all the athletic directors that are on the task force. Again, you know, I'm just a little soldier just taking orders from all the chiefs up above me yep. um, and really trying to push, you know, certain ideas. And, and having me on the show, and I, I do appreciate it, was all because of me wanting to switch to sports even before this happened. The only thing that I'm going to say right now is, you know, if this ever does come to play as far as condensing the sports and moving them, that would give me data for my philosophy of switching the seasons. Mm-hmm. Because that's the one thing that I've always waited for was data. Does, does it work to change the, and flip-flop the sports with the safety fields and everything else? And what I said to you two weeks ago about, you know, if they do cancel the fall and we do condense the spring, that's the data that I've been waiting to get. So... You know, not that I want data and not that I want to, you know, have a fall season canceled, but, you know, with the New York State governors and everybody else, you know, they're doing a great job coming up with a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, D, E, and F, where it sounds like Jersey is only going with a plan A. And that's to go full, you know, swing ahead with, you know, September. 
I have to believe somewhere and somebody in Jersey has a plan B and a plan C. I, I would have to assume that as well uh, uh, because, uh, quite frankly, uh, it would be um, it's just, just common sense that they're looking around thinking, well, suppose schools don't open, then what do we do with our sports programs and what happens there? And, and uh, yeah, they haven't, they haven't talked about it, at least not publicly. Uh, they have hinted at things may change down the road, but uh, as we heard from from Jack Smith, and he's he's pretty well tapped into that community and hasn't heard much. So I assume, Mike, that something is uh, is a there's a contingency plan, or is a plan B, and probably the same in Connecticut and other states as well, because we know that the numbers are beginning to go up again uh, in other states around the the country. Uh, but again, it all boils down to the linchpin on all this is whether or not the schools around here start on time. Uh, you know, right around Labor Day. And if that doesn't happen, or there are all sorts of variations, then we talk about sports, you know, after the fact. Uh, but I, I, I do think that a lot of these plans that uh, are being bounced around uh, in New York State are, are they're intriguing. And as you said, if they do come to pass, A, the kids will at least know they'll have at least some of their sports to play during the course of, uh, of, of the school year. And B, uh, they may, as you say, provide some data to say, well, maybe this, we should just go back and reexamine how, how we map out our sports uh, you know, around here. It's, it's, it's intriguing stuff. We're trying, obviously, to make, uh, you know, trying to make lemonade out of lemons, but that's, that's what it sort of boils down to. So, Mike Spina, I, I thank you so much for coming back on the show this morning. It is uh, we live in interesting times, to be sure. <laughs> and, uh, and I appreciate being on the show, Rick. Well, thank you. We'll, we'll hope and pray for a happy ending for all of us. Mike, thank you again. We'll, I'm sure we'll probably talk again sometime over the next uh, few weeks again. All right? I look forward to it. Thanks, Mike. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Sports Edge. Uh, my thanks this morning to, uh, to Pete Hoffman. Uh, please stick around for or Susan Wallman and Howie Rose. They are up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.